they will um, have very abnormal anatomy, yep. uh, usually at the L3, L4 level and below, and it may mean that um, any of our central neuraxial techniques uh, may not be assured of working. And there's a, high, a much higher risk of sticking your needle into some neurological structure. Exactly. So you probably shouldn't do it. Exactly. That. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, welcome back to Graham as well, who's um, who's in charge of this week's podcast. Actually, oh. so I called him, and he he gives a um, tutorial on a regular basis to our trainees here. Um, uh, what's the name of the tutorial? It's Graham? the abnormal spine. Abnormal spine, yes, yeah, so. and associated neurological disorders. Yep. So anyway, I thought um, that's a pretty good topic. I was surprised we haven't done something on it already. Um, but we haven't, and um, I thought this uh, would be a really good one for most of our listeners because everyone, everyone's looked after women who are having babies, and they if they've got anything wrong with their back or any neurological problems, there's usually um, lots of questions about how is this going to change how I have my baby? Mm-hmm. You know, can I have an epidural? Can I be awake? Can I be asleep? Is it, am I going to be in a wheelchair? <laughs> Not usually that one, but sort of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really the um, the basis of the talk that I give is that uh, th- there's a, a, a range, a, a large number of potential conditions uh, affecting the back, both in the um, the spine and then the anatomy of the meninges and uh, spinal cord. Yep, uh, that can be abnormal and therefore um, alter the way we approach our work. I think the uh, usually I start the talk by just explaining the method by which our drugs work in the central neuraxial space when we administer them epidurally. Yep. That um, they need to get into the epidural space and then diffuse, usually up and down that column of meninges and then um, provide anaesthesia at the level where the um, spinal nerves emerge from the intervertebral foramen. And anything that impedes the diffusion of the drug in that space can potentially decrease the efficacy yep. of the uh, attempted epidural analgesia. Yep. Um, and so that uh, obviously is relevant for a whole number of conditions. And so I'll name a few of them. So scoliosis in particular is a, um, a problem we see not infrequently. Scoliosis is, I think it's as many as three in a hundred people have a degree of scoliosis. Yep. And uh, for the idiopathic scoliosis that we see in a lot of w- uh, women, uh, more often than men, um, it uh, can impact upon the uh, ease of placing an effective epidural yep. and then the efficacy of the epidural. Uh, <coughs> Do you think that's just because we more often misplace it? Yes. So it's, I, not, it's not there's an, um, a physical obstruction or barrier. Like if you get the catheter into the epidural space and it's in the right spot, yes, it should usually work. Yeah, and but some of those patients who have scoliosis have previously had back surgery. Yeah, that's different, I think. Absolutely. If there's scarce tissue from surgery, hmm. then I guess, yeah, that's different. Yeah. But in someone who hasn't had surgery has just got a bit of a, you know, a, a curve in their back. Exactly. Okay. So um, uh, Chris Mitchell, very clever anaesthetist who works uh, in a 
couple of, a number of hospitals close to this hospital and was previously a consultant in yeah. this hospital taught yeah. me a long time ago the key with placing the epidural in the patient with the scoliosis yep. is to um, uh, aim the epidural needle away from the midline yep. towards the area where the scoliosis occurs. So usually in idiopathic scoliosis, scoliosis in the lumbar spine is to the left. So it's a matter of moving the needle even further that's to the bec- left. That's because it's the the, um, the vertebral bodies that have moved. That's correct. And the that spinous processes are following. Yes. Uh, but 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 also, if you use an ultrasound, you should be able to, and you know, hopefully you can pick up the, the image in the anatomy, you might be able to realise that that's the case as well. Exactly. And so usually the women are slim, <coughs> that's, that's favourable, and it makes uh, ultrasound of the back much more straightforward. <coughs> and ultrasound comes into its own in these kind of situations. Yeah. So it's sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because I remember him teaching us that as well. So you feel someone's back, yes. and you can feel... That the cur- the spine curves say two centimeters to the left. Yes, and so you think, okay, this part of the spine where I'm about to put the spinal epidural in is curved off to the left. So I'm, I'm going to put the needle in, but I'll just angle it back towards the middle again. And that's uh, the wrong thing to do. But actually, what happening is underneath, or the the vertebral canal and the vertebral bo- um, the vertebral bodies are actually even further left than more, the spinous process. That's right, more lateral than the spinous process. So you're actually doing the opposite, even though it feels like the right thing mm. to do. And that's the reason why those patients get higher incidence of things like unilateral block. Yeah, because mm. you might have, you know, stick it in the edge of, uh, you know, a nerve root or something. Or, exactly. Or you just, you just can't get it in. Mm. It's frustrating, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, but there's other conditions that are associated with scoliosis, including some neuromuscular diseases and some syndromes. Yep. With abnormal, uh, say, um, vertebral um, formation or anatomy, and the thing about those particular patients is you also have to consider their other conditions, uh, which may impact upon even things like airway um, management. So the um, if you need to do a yep. general anaesthetic. <coughs> which is more much more likely in someone with um, abnormal spine. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and uh, again, um, things like uh, ultrasound of the back is very helpful. But yep. some of those patients may have had surgery, and yep. so patients who've had um, previous back surgery are at risk of having less efficacy with um, epidural anaesthesia. And it may be more difficult even to place a spinal block, yep. particularly for patients with um, significant scoliosis surgery. And um, I've had the uh, opportunity to provide anaesthetic for you know, large um a multi-level back surgery for scoliosis. With the Harrington rods? With the Harrington yep. rods and also with the bone grafting where um, uh, during the surgery the spinous processes, facet joints, lamina are kind of stripped away yep. and at the end after the um, distraction and repositioning of the um, vertebral structures to a more um, straight uh, yep. alignment, there is a bone grafting all the way over the dorsal aspect of the um, yep. spinal um, bony canal. And yeah. so, um, so there's it's no, no wonder that no we window. can't get a needle into no that window. space. Yeah. 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 And then also I've, uh, uh, I've been taught and I've, you know, I've seen, that, I've seen, seen it is that the, the volume of the intrathecal space is, is altered. It is. Isn't it? By, yeah. by so sort of quite a, that radical surgery like that. Exactly, yep. and also um, the ability of drugs to reliably diffuse close to their point of action <coughs> is <coughs> Im- impacted. 
yeah, so if you, if someone who's like that, who's had like extensive um, surgery uh, for for um, repair of a scoliosis, you know, say you could feel a window in and you can get a spinal needle in and get some CSF, you inject in like a standard dose, it may or may not work. Exactly. Because the volume of the dural space may be much greater Yes. because uh, of the surgery and so just you just get an inadequate block. That's right, it's uh, too um, dilute perhaps yeah. to be effective. So, yeah, so the most challenging of those patients, I guess, so I guess is, just trying to paraphrase you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, so what you're saying is that there's a lot of people who have scoliosis, some of them haven't had surgery and it's only a minor um, curvature, and the, the challenge with them is really just like um, realising where their spine is and getting their, their spine or their epidural into the right spot. Yes. And then there's a more... The smaller subgroup of people with more severe scoliosis who've had like um, quite radical surgery and in that situation they're much more challenging like should you do a neuraxial block at all because you may or may not be ever able to get in and even if you do get in the drugs will not may or may not work like you'd expect them to so the spinal may be inadequate the epidural drugs probably the epidural space has probably been obliterated by bone grafts and scar tissue mm. and stuff and so even if you get a catheter in and well you get a loss of resistance and find some sort of potential space and feed a catheter in and you the drugs may not go up and down the spinal column like they need to to give analgesia and also isn't there an increased risk of doing an accidental dural puncture there is as well because you might not have a normal yeah, exactly. loss of resistance you just suddenly you're in the in the exactly. in the csf yep yeah, and then obviously um, you know you you worry a little bit about the introduction of infection into the space. Yeah. if there's any um, particular reasons why that might occur, but um, or damage even to the um, the um, surgical surgical um, yeah. equipment as part of the procedure. So, <coughs> in the past, uh, so the manage so how do we manage someone who has had you know big reconstruction in Harrington rods? See, so uh, well, I I have a look at the anatomy um, yep. from uh, imaging. Yep. One of the problems with the imaging is sometimes there's limitations after the surgery in terms of access to things like MR, which yep. give really good pictures, but um, may be contraindicated once ferromagnetic material is included as part of the yeah, um, yep. surgery. Uh, I then um, I, I usually counsel people in saying that in saying that epidural analgesia may not be fully effective. Yep. Uh, if it does look like it's possible. If it looks like it's impossible, I make sure I discuss alternative pain relief in labour, yep. such as um, remifentanil, yep. intravenous uh, PCIA. Um, same with spinal anaesthesia for caesarean delivery yep. and make sure that um, the patients are uh, um, aware that a general anaesthetic may be required yep. in order to enable um, safe caesarean delivery. Yep. And uh, so the other thing, so I just want to throw this in here. So, so in the past, and we had one of our previous head of departments, we used to be quite enthusiastic about this. Would would people would actually put in um, practitioners put in intrathecal catheters in these women, mm. um, because obviously then you can titrate the dose um, of the analgesia for for surgery or and or pain relief. Um, Obviously, that's that. Also, it might, it might still be tricky to put it in, but once you get it in, if you're aspirating CSF, you sort of know where you are. Mm. And then um, the the problem that we discussed just before about you doing a single shot spinal and then it's not adequate. It's not really a problem because you can just put some more in and slowly yes. top it up. Um, 
but they, they're still obviously at uh, risk of getting a headache. Mm. In and so if there was a famous case of a woman who um, who had two of her, she had severe scoli- kyphoscoliosis, uh, including it affected her C-spine, mm-hmm. and she had two of her babies here with intrathecal catheters placed by yes. her colleague. Yes. Um, and then, but then later on in her life, um, in her mid-30s, she had elective surgery for a hernia repair at another hospital in the <coughs> Western Australia where they, when they put her to sleep, they couldn't get an airway and she died from mm, an airway disaster. Exactly. Uh, but she had quite severe curvature of her cervical spine. I think from what I remember mm. reading her coroner's report, her chin was stuck to her sternum almost. Yeah, and, uh, so she, had, she had vertebral abnormalities yeah. as part of her um, array of um, yeah. back problems. So that's quite mm. an important point, isn't it? It so, is. So anyone who's got... Um, Spinal abnormalities, if you're an anaesthetic practitioner caring for them, like might do a really good airway assessment. Because, exactly. Because, um, you know, spinal nephrules got a higher chance of failure, and then you're going to have to do a GA, and then if they've got a difficult airway mm. as well because their spine, the upper spine is abnormal. You're, yeah. in, you're in a world of pain. Exactly. I know there's a, a patient that I care for, not infrequently, <coughs> here, who yep. comes back for repeat procedures, who's had. Um, very long scoliosis surgery in her thoracolumbar spine. Yeah, she's not easy to place her spinal. She has some um, rotational scoliosis still, but she also has a very difficult airway. Yeah, um, it's a bad combination. It is a bad combination. So I think you have to think about both of those things when you're yeah. um, planning care for the patients um, who've had such such right. surgery. Um, Patients who have disc prolapse, we see them from time to time. Usually, yep. it doesn't impact too much upon the usual care. The only thing to think of, and I do have some examples in my talk that I give, is there are some um, disc prolapses where there's significant impingement on nerves and it may impact upon the ability of the drug to get to that nerve in order to be effective at that site. Yep. Um, (coughs) In terms of other things, I just want to talk a little bit about spinal cord injury. Okay. Although it's not common... It, it affects both our obstetric and our gynae patients in the, in the hospital. Yep. Uh, because patients who have spinal cord injury, particularly where it's above the T6 level, yep. are at significant risk of a condition called autonomic dysreflexia. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's a problem with um, a painful stimuli to the uh, brain. For instance, uh, with our the surgery that we do, either affecting the um, vagina or stimulating the uterus with sort of sort of stretch um, uh, stimuli, or painful stimuli. That yeah, not being in labour. Exactly. Yeah, and um, not being um, actually felt by the patient. Yeah, so they they're not aware of it, but, but their spine is. But their spine is, and their uh, sympathetic nervous system reflexes. Uh, yeah. Such that they're active below the level of the um, spinal cord injury. Yeah, yeah. But their parasympathetic nervous system in, um, reflexes aren't. So these patients can get a significant hypertensive surge. Yeah. Uh, associated with uh, symptoms like sweating, erection above the level of the block. Yeah. Um, but not below the level of the block. So um, they can vasoconstrict below the level of the block, but not vasodilate as a kind of a baroreceptor reflex. Yeah. And so they can get quite severe hypertensive. They can, they can. And that would be challenging in the um, obstetric population if you weren't aware of this um, complicated physiology because you go, oh, they've got preeclampsia or mm. so they exactly. misdiagnose someone. Yeah, I mean but the, actually the, someone, the treatment is the same as the treatment be. of 
And, 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 a, and a patient with a spinal cord injury might not say, oh, I'm having contractions. Exactly. They might just turn up in the neural clinic mm, mm. <laughs> with a blood pressure of yeah. 200. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they're also relevant for our patients who have things like D's and yeah. C's, for example. Yeah. Uh, um, and so uh, patients in labour or patients who are expecting <coughs> to, to labour, um, epidural anaesthesia is highly effective yep. at reducing the risk of autonomic dysreflexia. Yeah, so, quite a, so even though they can't feel pain, they still should need an exactly. epidural yep. because um, ablating those painful stimuli because you need to um, block the sympathetic problems exactly uh, of labour. Mm. Must be harder. Uh, I haven't looked after that many women uh, with spinal cord injuries, but it must be harder to know if your block's working or not. I suppose if you put it in, it seems straightforward, and the blood pressure's doing what it's supposed yeah, to. Yeah, then it's, it's probably working. It's probably working. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. I haven't cared for many patients <coughs> like this either. Although in the last month I've seen one, and so yeah. it um, prompts me to um, be mindful of that. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing is, if they do have an autonomic, uh, sorry, a hypertensive crisis, the treatment's the same as any other malignant hypertensive yep. episode. So antihypertensives and exactly, yep. Th- but things that aren't um, going to make uh, cause any vasoconstrictor response. That is, the drugs we normally normally use: hydralazine, nifedipine, yeah, okay. oil. So even if you're not sure what's causing it. Exactly. It's still the, the treatment, the medications we use so that are familiar in obstetrics. They also talk about GTN, but the obstetricians don't like GTN because it relaxes the uterus. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Especially exactly. postpartum. Probably prepartum doesn't matter as much. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Um, so have we got, um, is that a, are you about to move on to something else? Yes. I, I, um, I think we should have a bit of a break. That's pretty heavy going. Did I tell you I watched a movie um, last week called The Adjustment? It was about a uh, chiropractor who quits and then he goes back to school and then he becomes a famous orthopedic surgeon eventually, an orthopedic spine surgeon. I didn't really like it. It's too much backstory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh. let's, let's move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> we also talk a little bit about neural tube defects Yep. and spinal, spinal dysraphisms. And All right, what's the difference? Yeah, oh, there's, there's, well, there's, 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 there's basically b- three broad classifications of uh, neural tube defects. Okay. And the, the first one is um, spina bifida occulta, which apparently is quite common. Yep. Uh, but most of the time where it occurs, it's um, an incomplete uh, closure of the, uh, the neural tube, but it usually occurs in the sacrum. Okay, so it's sort of below where we need to... But below where we have any... It's all right. <laughs> Nothing important. Gee. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> That's Roger's <laughs> phone just made a noise. Um, yeah, it, it, below where we do any, any of our work, and most of the times patients with that condition are asymptomatic. Yep. But they sometimes know about it because they have uh, medical imaging performed yep. as investigation for things like back pain. Yeah. Yeah, the next um, category is called meningocele, and that's where there's a closed um, skin. There's uh, there may be herniated menin- uh, meninges, but uh, everything's enclosed. Yep. Uh, those patients are going to have abnormal anatomy. They may not be symptomatic. Yep. And then the other um, broad classification mm. is myelomeningocele, and that's where there's actually herniation and open <coughs> tissues. Yep. So these are the one that's going to present in infancy or at birth. Uh, yeah. And they're going to need surgery to repair it. Exactly. Yep. The, 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 the facts are that 
the number of children born with this condition have fallen considerably over the last 20 years. A little bit to do with follow-ups, mainly that um, patients with fetuses with severe abnormalities are detected early. Okay, that's right. And so there's often um, medical termination of pregnancy for many, many of those patients. So I think the incidence has dropped somewhere like about um, 80%. Okay. In the last so 30 so years. So there's less of them around. Yep. That's correct. But they still do come, <coughs> and, and, and those patients will have had surgical correction, yep. and they will um, have very abnormal anatomy, yep. uh, usually at the L3, L4 level and below, and it may mean that um, any of our central neuraxial techniques uh, may not be assured of working. And there's... A, high, a much higher risk of sticking your needle into some neurological structure. Exactly. So probably should. And there's also um, a condition called tethered cord, which means that the spinal cord can be lower than we normally um, anticipate. It ends at yeah. the L1, L2. Um, yeah, so it could level. be down at L3. Or exactly. Or lower. And make things vulnerable. Yeah. But the problem with tethered cord, from my reading, is every so often there'll be a patient who... So is that part of... Part of spina bifida, telecord? Yes. Okay. It yeah. may be, yeah. Or, or can you get telecord, which is completely you can get separate? It, you can get it completely separate. <coughs> but uh, you wouldn't know about it because no one's done any imaging. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, but every so often there's someone who's uh, allegedly asymptomatic where it's discovered as part of investigations for things like abnormal anatomy of the lower back. And right. it's probably quite important because patients with um, neural tube defects may have dimpling of the skin. Yep. They may have a lipomatous growth around um, their lower back. Yep. And if that is uh, seen, it's probably worth investigating prior to doing any central neuraxial anaesthetic okay. technique. So when they're so they're sitting up and screaming and they're eight centimetres. That's not a great you time. Discover there's a dimple. Exactly. <laughs> it's not a great time. But um, little tufts of hair, skin pigmentation yep. Dimpling, um, uh, soft tissue masses in the area. If they're identified um, pre-pregnancy or during pregnancy, then uh, neuroimaging with MR, if possible, can yep. be really helpful. So, is MRI safe in pregnancy? That's a good question. Okay, the information isn't fully known. However, <coughs> the thoughts are the first trimester may not be a time for MRI imaging, as far as I'm aware. Okay, that no one knows whether it impacts on embryogenesis. <coughs> yep. It's thought to be very safe in the second and third. Because it does heat up the tissues, doesn't it? It heats up the tissues. Yep. Patients get exposed to the noises. Yep. Which potentially can impact upon the fetal hearing. Yeah. Loud noise for a period of time. And um, if they need to use any uh, contrast, there may be an impact from that. But it's thought to be pretty safe in trimesters two and three. Yep. And if there's a... Yeah, it's risk benefit. If there's, a strong, if there's a strong indication that you need to know what's going on in their back, yeah, it's then it might be worth doing. Very worth doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Do you have any questions about that? Yeah. So uh, I guess the tricky one is when someone, the patients, just say to you, "I've got spina bifida," but they don't tell you any other details. Yes. And they don't bring any imaging. No. And. Yeah. So you just got to ask them. Hey, did you have yeah, surgery as a child? Yes. And the, so that sort of rules out the, the you know, the, the worst case, the myeloma meningocele. Yep. But then you know, d- differentiating between the other two, where spina bifida occulta, which is basically 
not going to change our management or approach to them in any way mm. whatsoever versus the other group. Yes. Uh, and and the other difficult. group may have absent spinous processes, for example, yep. and um, have very different anatomy. Yeah, so what would that be? A higher risk of like accidental dural puncture because yes. the dural space is abnormal yep. or... or um, incomplete block. Tethered cord, incomplete exactly. blocks. Exactly. You know, potentially sticking a needle into a neural tissue. Yes. In Unanticipated manner. Mm. Okay. Mm. So isn't that that's difficult then, isn't it? Exactly. It, you know, that, and that goes <coughs> back to history, examination, investigation. If you can do that, yeah. Um, so hopefully, someone will mention something about them having th- so, saying, oh, "I think I've got spina bifida um, in my back," and hopefully, they'll mention that to a midwife or a obstetrician in the antenatal period, and then someone will then look into it. Mm. All right. Um, good. What other conditions have you got? Uh, other conditions I talk about are, are, are things like um, dural ectasia, yep. which can occur with things like Marfan's that can lead to... So it, what is dural ectasia? So dural ectasia is like a dilatation of the dura. Yep. It may occur in the lumbar sacral spine. It leads to a greater volume of um, um, the system. And okay. usually filled with CSF, and so again, any kind of technique of um, predetermined dosing administered in that space. May yeah, mean so it's like dilated. you're a single shot spine where you put two and a half mils of heavy marcane in, and a block comes up to the umbilicus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, absolutely. Tarlov cysts, that's another thing I talk about. These yeah, are so that's out- just like a fluid filled cyst in your back, isn't it? It's an outpouching of um, meninges. Yep. So, um, duramata, and it can be filled with. CSF, yep. But it may not be always in continuity with the rest of the um, subarachnoid space. Okay, so, so you see, they get no block at all. That's correct. Or some of like some of the drugs get yep. into this uh, central nervous system, yep. and you might get some block, but yep. not not a good block. Exactly, and it's thought to be an explanation for why um, s- uh, spinal anesthesia, where everything looks normal, what you expect to see. Uh, needle goes in, there's resistance as the needle enters the subarachnoid space, there's barbitage or clear CSF coming back with barbitage, however administration of the drug leads to a um, this is a block that doesn't just doesn't seem to fit <coughs> with the pattern that you expect. Yeah. So this is a good question. So mm. in this day and age nowadays, uh, you know, obviously different 15 years ago, but any, if you have a patient where something like that happens, what do you think about getting them to come, especially if they're thinking about having future children, getting them um, to have some M- an MRI Imagine of their I think back it's a really good af- idea. after they've delivered. Yep, I think it's fine. The So like, say, th- three months later. Yeah, right? if they're breastfeeding, sometimes there's some issues <coughs> with the administration of some of the contrasts. Uh, if there's no other contraindication for an MRI, I think it's a really good idea. We have found... So, we so have if we have funny things like that happen, we should, on the pain round, we should say, hey, yes. we think in two or three months you should go and get MRI yeah. back. Then. Or, or, or even if you're there providing the anaesthesia on the day... Uh, Just mention it to them. Exactly. And yeah. maybe hand it over to your team members on the pain round or even organise for yeah. the patient to have an MRI later or a, on. Or a GP if you're working Absolutely. in a... You're not working in a teaching hospital mm. where you have the luxury of a pain team that's going to come follow someone up. Yeah. Because it, uh, it sa- are much it easier to get nowadays. They yeah. are, yeah, and it, it saves our um, saves our patients, our colleagues, yeah, the uh, finding that out for the second time. That's right. So, mm. so they come back two years later, 
they have their second baby and they're stressed as because last time they had block that didn't work and they had to go to sleep and they didn't get to see their baby being born and exactly yada yeah yeah they had an unpleasant or traumatic experience mm. yep and, and a combined spinal epidural yep may work yeah that's right because then mm. if your spinal doesn't work you you can you can uh, augment the block yep or there may be a level to avoid that yeah. you know from the neuroimaging yep that's good mm. all right um i told my chiro- chiropractor that my spine was already in alignment but he proved me wrong. <laughs> now I stand corrected. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Um, yeah, so Roger's really the... Um, that's it for the abnormal spine? Oh, there, I mean, there's other things I could talk about, but um, that's really it for the, the abnormal spine. I just have a whole bunch of pictures of um, people with abnormal anatomy or corrective surgery yep. that, I, that I use through the talk to illustrate the important points. What about... Um, so this is probably the most common thing, isn't it, is that people say, um, I have um, back pain. I've got you know, some form of musculoskeletal back pain. They'll, they'll describe it in various ways. I've, you know, I've got a disc prolapse or I've got a sciatica or whatever. Um, you know, sh- I'm really worried about having an epidural. Well, how do you answer that? Because like, something like, um, and I think, like something like um, 30% or even higher of women have back pain during... during or immediately after pregnancy, mm-hmm. because of all the cha- physiological changes of pregnancy, loosening the sort of pelvis and lower spine. Mm. Yeah, I, I think um, provided they know, mm. uh, well, I provide information about how the epidural works. Yep. And uh, is yeah. there any evidence that having an epidural will cause back pain? Not long term. Yep. In most situations. Yeah. So in, gen- I, I, I in general, most back pain is not exactly. related to the epidural, but I guess there must be like occasional, very small, occasional sort of individual circumstances where someone has, uh, you know, a neuropraxia or something. Exactly. It is. I mean, it's possible <coughs> if, um, but the care's not, if, if the usual care is not taken with regards to providing the um, uh, epidural. That, yeah, the, the, the but the huge majority of women who go, oh, last time I had a sore back um, after my baby, and I'm sure it was you guys mm. when mm. you did your epidural. Yeah. Or my cousin had a baby and she had an epidural and she had back pain for six months after, yes. her, ba- after her baby was born. Yep. Most right. of those are completely unrelated, isn't it? Exactly. So, and, and, with that, and with the proper um, history examination, investigation, that's you can easily determine that. And I was told, and I've never gone back and looked this up mm. from the primary literature, but I was taught that there's people have done observational studies of this and, and the incidence of back pain um, is the same whether they had an epidural or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's quite high in both yes. groups. Yes. Yeah. In most situations, it's musculoskeletal. Yeah. You know, in the immediate time after the epidural is placed, then there will be some healing associated yeah, with so that needle tenderness, being placed. Tenderness at, yeah. the, at the skin or yeah. well, just below. Yeah. If, especially uh, if it was difficult and there's a few exactly. bit of bruising. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But with time, usually that um, comes good and uh, can be um, differentiated from other causes of back pain. Yep. Mm. <sighs> I'm thinking of having my spine removed. It's only holding me back. <laughs> bit more evident researching the jokes for this week than I did actually researching these that were useful academically. All right. That's well. okay. What's the um, <laughs> so how many how many um, how many tickles does it take 
to um, make a uh, an octopus laugh. Um, I don't know how many tickles does it take. Oh, you're going to say the logical number, which is eight. Yeah, no, no, no. Takes <laughs> ten tickles. <laughs> ten tickles. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry, I ruined it because I <laughs> because I overthought it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Graham. That was another very really interesting and uh, u- hopefully useful um, discussion mm. for those of you guys out there. Mm. Thank you very much. We've we've purchased some new um, recording equipment, but it hasn't arrived yet. So it's just an upgrade to the microphones and the, and the headphones. Okay, see you again next time. Thank you very much. Have thanks. a merry Christmas, thanks, Graham. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandgynecritcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time. I'd like to acknowledge the Wajak people as the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place. We pay our respects to elders in past and present and extend that respect to all First Nations people.